Hello, this is Michelle Weston, host of Wellness Learning Curves 2.0. Great to have you back again. And today I'm going to talk about ADHD and women, not just kids, not just boys. A lot of times it's just boys, then it's gone to girls, but we didn't really see ADHD being picked up and being noted for women, for grown women, um, till about the mid-1990s. And that's important for me to share with you because for chronic conditions, um, ADHD is one, ADD is one. And so the best, uh, the best description came from uh, Christina Karen, who is a writer for the Ask Well section of the New York Times. And last summer, the end of the summer, I think in August, August 6th, uh, 2021, she had a great piece called How Do I Know If I Have Adult ADHD? Talk about a big question, right? So what is ADHD? It is Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, or ADHD, and it's a neurodevelopmental disorder. So disorder, when you hear that, it just means that it's off kilter. It doesn't mean that it's broken or it's wrong. It's just called a disorder. It's a Latin thing. So don't worry about the language, but worry more about the com, you know, the uh, things that we have to think about. And you may be someone struggling with ADHD. You may know someone who's struggling with ADHD or um, is thinking that perhaps they need some guidance on how to work with having ADHD symptoms. And it's normally characterized by inattention, disorganization, uh, procrastination, impulsivity, and hyperactivity, hyperactivity more in guys than in girls, which is kind of interesting. So what we've seen is that in how common, you wonder how common ADHD is in the world. So what we've seen um, and the articles that I've read um, are more about that ADHD occurred throughout the developed and the developing world as more common in males compared with females. And it has not become more common over the past three decades. It has not become more common over the past three decades, but due to increased more recognition in articles and things seen by clinicians in journals and so forth, it's um, the diagnosis, the ADHD disorder is more likely to be diagnosed today than in prior decades, which is a good thing for us. So, I wanted to bring that to your attention. And when I say ADHD, I want you also to think about this. Um, There are some incredible women, boss women, boss type women that we have out there. We have actresses like Emma Watson. We have Solange Knowles, Simone Biles, our Olympic gymnast, uh, Lisa Ling. What a great reporter and a great host. I think she was on the talk on CBS for a long while, Audrey McDonald, another actress. Um, And what I found, excuse me, is that there was this award-winning producer and that I just love. She spearheaded a really good, interesting group. And Pop Sugar had written an article on her online. And her name is Margot Joffe. And she was diagnosed with ADHD at around her late 20s. And she had been dealing with bouts of depression and anxiety throughout her 20s. And she it was just largely resulted from unknowingly grappling with the condition. She didn't know what she was handling at all. So 
when she was diagnosed, she started looking for information about ADHD online. And I'm the same. I go directly online or I go to the library or I go to, you know, Scholar, Google Scholar, and I start to look for things that are coming out and when they were published to see where we are today. And she um, was surprised, which a lot of people are, that there's not a lack of more relatable information for adult women. And so she took the bull by the horns. And I love that she founded a group online. It's a community for women with ADHD and it's called Kaleidoscope Society. So Kaleidoscope, think like Kaleidoscope as a kid, you look through it and the colors change. And it's called KaleidoscopeSociety.com. And she really wanted to empower women with great stories and great accessible resources and really start to dispel that stigma and that narrow stereotype surrounding ADHD. Why did I choose this subject this week to talk about by myself um, and not have an expert? Well, I'm looking for one that I really love and I've reached out to a couple, but I wanted to talk about this because I struggled with it as a kid and then it sort of disappeared for a couple of decades, and then it came back. And it came back more as a cognitive thing when I was diagnosed with MS. So I was interested in talking to you guys about where ADHD is today for women. And <clears throat> the information <clears throat> may be great for you. It may be great for a friend, um, a loved one. And so I wanted to share it. So for much too long, women really have uh, struggled with ADHD and getting diagnosed properly. And normally what we find with ADHD women is that they're super creative, that they're really hardworking, that they're passionate, that they're resilient, that they have a lot of ideas. And they're pretty much like pioneers. They're trailblazers in a variety of fields, as you heard me mention some of the women who have it, who, you know, have been diagnosed with ADHD and now have learned to work with it or are working with it. And it's important to think about what goes on. What I loved about Margot's website is that she had some great exercises to help us with. So as I was saying, she, Margot had some great exercises to help us with. And the one that I wanted to share with you, which I've always struggled with, is procrastination. So everybody struggles with procrastination from time to time, honestly. But for those of us who have ADHD or ADD, it can be really frustrating, very frustrating. And procrastination can be taken, it really does. It takes a toll on our relationships, on our own self-esteem, on our career, because as I mentioned before, it's the... Um, inability to um, be able to manage your executive functioning skills. So you're impulsive and you'll interrupt, not to be rude, but you just have an idea and you don't want to let it go. And I had to learn how to write something down on a piece of paper and then bring it up once the person had stopped talking. So there's a good tip of a, an, an exercise that I use and a tool that I use. And ADHD is very difficult for us to plan. And how do we get started? And how do we um, sustain attention on a task or complete a task, especially when it's a task we aren't particularly interested in doing, such as making a doctor's appointment or filing taxes or doing laundry or any number of you know silly adult things we have to do. But 
You know that Nike ad, just do it? I wish that we could just do it. It is that hard. And I hate when people say, it's not that hard. Or have you tried a planner? And that just makes it worse. It's like, no, you don't, we can't just do it. We have to learn how to do it. So there's a exercise called body doubling. And body doubling can help with procrastination. And the good news is there are neuroscience-based strategies that can help ADHDers get stuff done better. So body doubling, or sometimes it's called co-working, you do a task with another person present. So they're there with you or they're on Zoom. If we're in a pandemic or something, you need to do it that way. The task doesn't change, but having another person there can make it feel a whole lot easier. Now, I know it sounds really simple, but it is. And the best part is that there is a science to why it works. So the science is is that co-working or body doubling stimulates the release of our feel-good brain chemicals. And those four chemicals are dopamine and oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins. And let me explain to you what those are just in case you're curious and don't know it off the top of your head. Um, Dopamine is the addicting feel of reward. And when we break something down into small steps and then we accomplish a small part of it, we sort of kick off a dopamine release. So if you were making something and the souffle started to rise quickly, you would get that dopamine release. Or if you were in a presentation um, for a new pitch in an advertising firm and people started to smile and nod their heads, that's a reward. That's a, a, a dopamine feeling. And that's why it feels good to get things done. Even if they aren't the things we should be working on, you know, like making souffle when you probably should be working on tomorrow's whatever. But by picking one piece of a project or task and then getting it down, you will feel a great sense of accomplishment. So serotonin, that makes you feel good about yourself. So that's great for self-confidence, self-esteem, and co-working sessions here help you notice and they celebrate your own accomplishments as well as getting um, acknowledgement from a partner or for getting it for getting it done. So all of that releases serotonin, which makes you feel good about yourself, which is always good, literally. Oxytocin is a feeling of bonding, of trust and love. And human connections work that way. They work with another person and exchanging a greeting or a smile can release oxytocin. When you walk past somebody on the street and you note them and they could be on the phone or something and you know them and you nod your head just to acknowledge them, that can release oxytocin. And what it also does is it calms the nervous system and it helps regulate stress responses. And endorphins are the body's natural painkillers. Although some tasks can feel really painful, the act of talking about your work with another is a good thing. So it can help you feel more positive about the task itself. So do yourself a favor, book a 30-minute meeting with a coworker or a friend on a task that you have. And the other person should have something too. You can you can go back and forth and body double. So you can start by taking a couple minutes to say hello and then share what's going on and what you want to accomplish in the time. And then get ready, go to mute and work for 25 minutes on just that one task. Got it? 
So come back together at the end of the session to take a couple minutes and then share what you accomplished and celebrate your progress. Now, I know it sounds so simple, and it is. And there's also tools for virtual co-working. So check out Focusmate, F-O-C-U-S-M-A-T-E. And it's a website where you can schedule a 25-minute or a 50-minute virtual co-working section. And they will automatically match you with a partner from anywhere in the world. And it's really, really easy to use. And the best part is it's free. So if you have a free account, you can get three co-working sessions every week, okay? But if you want unlimited co-working sessions, it's going to cost you $5 per month. But it's worth looking at. So think about Focusmate. If you just need to connect with someone and you don't want to bother anyone or you just want to do it, you can do it online and have it done and have it done with somebody from around the world. God only knows where somebody else struggling with ADHD could be. So there's also the opportunity to um, think about what, goes on and how common <clears throat> it is because ADHD affects about, according to the World Health Organization, about 25 to 5% of the adult population. And there's research that suggests that these rates may be increasing. This article is from 2020. So definitely it could have been increasing definitely during the pandemic. So it is relatively common um, that people become undiagnosed and untreated. And what we need is an ability to get with a psychologist, psychiatrist, a social worker, check with somebody who knows about ADHD. There are some people in the uh, mental health field who are experts in ADHD. And what happens is what's important is if you leave ADHD untreated and don't find ways to use tools and strategies or medications and talk therapy, it can lead to problems with productivity and even your personal relationships and further mental health problems. So you want to be diagnosed so that you don't go into the bout of, I'm anxious, I'm depressed, why is this going on? Why are not people understanding? Because it's important if you suspect that you could have ADHD or ADD, which is attention deficit disorder, <clears throat> it's essential for you to talk to someone. And there's also uh, a couple places to find an ADHD coach for strategies and tools. And that's something I look forward to in the future of getting certified in. So there's the ADD Coach Academy, ADDCA. It's a directory which has some of the best ADHD coaches out there from around the world. So it's not just about America, folks. It's <clears throat> around the world. And then there's the Attention Deficit Disorder Association. So ADA. I'm a member of ADA. It's online and it's great because it's a it's one of the biggest leading adult ADHD organizations. And they're an international nonprofit. So ADDA.org. Um, they started like 30 years ago to help adults with ADHD live better lives. And these coaches have met strident training, stringent, stringent training, and they have to pass requirements. And they've demonstrated a thorough understanding of how to use the competencies, which is the tools of coaching that set a standard in the profession. Okay. So they can be um, a member of PAC, P-A-A-C. It's Professional Association of ADHD Coaches. Um, many of us in many fields, executive coaching, health coaching, uh, fitness coaching, um, 
whatever kind of coaching, we're members of the International Coach Federation, ICF, where you also can find coaches. But for ADHD, go to the first two and really look at ADDCA.com and ADDA.org and see if you can find somebody who's really, really well-trained in ADHD from around the world to help you or a loved one or someone you're thinking about, um, because it will make a difference. So if we go back to what some of the studies have shown about ADHD is that um, sometimes people develop uh, substance abuse with ADHD. And it's probably from frustration and not knowing what to do and depression. But normally it's really anxiety and depression. So don't lead yourself thinking, oh, if I have ADHD, I'm going to become a substance abuser. I can tell you in my 50s, no, you're not going to. So don't go down that road and stay on your fork on the road. And what also is important is that work leads to poor work performance if you don't learn tools and strategies and ways to help yourself. Um, And I really think that that you can do it. I really do. Um, I also think that what I want to mention is that they, when you're working and you have ADHD, so I sound scattered right now because I'm organizing my thoughts so that I'm very clear. And so individuals with ADHD may have difficulty in completing tasks or staying on task and following through with instructions. So they might find it challenging to interact with coworkers, manage time effectively. And you don't want to jeopardize your, your job. You don't want to do it. You want to learn how to use tools and talk therapy to manage your symptoms and go ahead and be amazing. I mean, Bill Gates and Stephen Jobs, they feel that both those men had a version of ADHD because they're beyond the brilliance. And as I always say, I always feel like there are many times I feel like I'm three blocks ahead of someone or a conversation and I have to slow my roll, as you would say, and just write down what I want to talk about and let the person talk who's being talk, who's talking at that time and wait my turn. So those are techniques I've learned. Uh, with relationships, personal relationships, it can lead to problems. Honestly, you may have difficulty focusing on your partner. And because you can be easily distracted, that's a challenge when it's your partner and your husband or wife. Um, And you'll be more impulsive and you'll say or do things without thinking about the consequences. So sometimes it's like, you know, a frog escapes out of your mouth and you have to really manage those frogs. You have to really, really think about this. So it can also affect the executive functioning skills, which I talked about, such as organization and time management. And that affects things like making it difficult to keep up with household chores. So for me, I found this really cool, silly list of Monday through, you know, seven days a week of how to do chores and how to set up dusting or mopping the floor or vacuuming or cleaning the bathroom or kitchen. And that helped me because it it was set up and I could just look at it and use it as a guide. Um, I'll put it up on my website because it's kind of cool. And it's important to learn these skills because you don't want to, you know, be at the mercy of the consequences of arguing with your um, better half and even breaking up with someone that would be horrible over ADHD. So 
using this, you want to be able to do your household chores, to pay your bills on time, remember birthdays, remember anniversaries. And, you know, what happens is your partner may feel like they're carrying the lion's share of a workload and then they begin to get resentful and you don't want that. Um, Many of the symptoms can be managed honestly, and they just lead to a happier and more fulfilling relationship with your spouse. Um, In regards to financial, you know, you have to really, again, look at it because impulsivity, um, I've learned to um, not tear up checks or to delete things and just leave it for a bit because I may need it. I may think I don't need it at that second, but I may. So slowing my roll down again helps a great deal. There's medications that um, some are stimulants and some are not stimulants. They can be tolerated easier. I'm not going to get into that because there's a lot of great information out there. And what's interesting about ADHD, it's it's a big misdiagnosis in women. Huge. Uh, Many women we ask say they themselves or their daughters or their sisters were described as flaky or spacey and diagnosed as depressed or anxious or even bipolar, but not ADHD. So you see a pattern here. So when the impact of limiting diagnoses, especially in mental health, it it's difficult to manage your symptoms if you don't know what you're dealing with. So what's the latest diagnosis? Many mothers in search of help for their own diagnosed kids recognize their symptoms when they're reading about childhood development disorders and think, oh, wow, I am not that rowdy kid who has trouble sitting still, but that really does sound like me. I used to, in grade school, say I was going to the bathroom and take a book and go to the library and read under an AV, an audiovisual table. So silly. But I needed more stimulation, and that's how I handled things. Um, It's interesting. Sometimes it shows up later. So those of you who are parents who may be dealing with it, you may see yourself in that light. And things are starting to change, and that's the good thing. And here's a look at the impact of ADHD on women, including when you're diagnosed and what different symptoms you have and um, what kind of conditions. So. As we learn more, because ADHD is very complex, we seem to be entering a better time for be able to go forward um, and for understanding that ADHD is a form of neurodiversity. So do you guys know neurodiversity? So neurodiversity means that, you know, our brains are almost working at a higher level. They will say kids on the spectrum are neurodiverse. Also ADHD neurodiverse because we have executive functioning skills challenges and that's where that comes from. But I will tell you the traits like creativity and empathy and definitely the ability to take risk, like starting a magazine for women size 12 and up, really? The two publishers, the owners of the magazine looked at me on a trip because we had pitched a plus size magazine to Sears in Chicago to do an in-house magazine for them, um, for their shoppers. And on the way back on the plane, one of the publishers was my former publisher at Condé Nast. And she was, I said, but we're ready to do this. We're like ready to do this. Market is ready. And both of them said, market is ready. I said, yes, the market is ready because I covered the market. It means going into the fashion district and finding 
companies that make clothes that are size 12 and up was something that I concentrated on. That was my daily work. And when I gave them a list of all of those uh, different companies, they sort of went, oh my God, this really could be done now. So we started to work on it as a team. We were a founding team, definitely. Need a good editor-in-chief and I was this fashion style director. And doing that together, it makes it easier. So, you know, being somebody to take risks is a really good quality. Being able to think quickly in a crisis, great quality. Um, I saw somebody in the theater react very quickly to somebody falling off of a cherry picker. It's a specific kind of ladder for lighting. And the reaction time was so quick. Um, I know that this person has ADHD, had ADHD when I was in college. And to be able to think that quickly was really useful. I bet you there's firefighters and policemen out there with ADHD. Um, It also makes it easy to work under stress. We actually are good at that. And we also do deep dives into areas of interest um, very well. And, you know, even for employees or universities, for professors and others interested in attracting out-of-the-box thinkers, you know, they're looking for those kinds of of brains. And the key to succeeding with ADHD as as a woman may not be in thinking of your brain as a fast-driving car. That's a guy thing. Instead, it's a powerful machine with the ability to adapt and learn quickly. So let's just say you can you can switch gears easily. And if you're over the age of 50 and you weren't diagnosed as a kid or as an adolescent, there could be other medical issues like stress and anxiety and hormonal fluctuations, getting your period, postmenopause, all those things affect ADHD. And even medication side effects can make ADHD harder to diagnose. But here's the point. The impact of not knowing you have ADHD when you do is truly significant. See, women by nature tend to doubt themselves and their capabilities in ways that guys do not ADHD may explain poor emotional health that perhaps you could have been avoided and it has been diagnosed. And if it's diagnosed earlier, you can get ahead of the curve, honestly. Um, It doesn't look any different from treating it in adult men. And it's a blend of psychotherapy and medication at times and lifestyle adjustments. That's where I said tools and strategies are recommended. And also therapy in CBT, cognitive behavioral approach, which is great. It's a therapist helps you work on a specific problematic behavior by helping understand why you're doing it and how you can change it, how you can use tools and strategies to help you. So like I said, the post-it note to write something that I want to bring up after a person in a meeting finishes talking. So outside of Talk therapy, ADHD coaches can help. They can help you identify roadblocks you feel at work at home, and they can help you change how you deal with them. So how do you handle it? Um, It's also really important that you make these lifestyle changes. And I use that word, which I use a lot on Wellness Learning Curves 2.0. Making a lifestyle change could also include making a diet adjustment. So less sugar, less fat in your diet. You know, that sets off the brain. It's very busy. You know, when you're with somebody who's just on too much sugar or like a kid who's on too much sugar, ADHD brains can get like that. So 
it's important to think about your diet and self-care opportunities like meditation, like taking a restorative yoga, which is not stressful, but it's more relaxing. And that's self-care. Taking a walk, riding your bike in a gorgeous area, um, being on a boat, all those things are wonderful ways to do self-care for yourself. Journaling, absolutely journaling. I think journaling is great. So um, look at that as well. Um, People also look to exercise. And I normally think physical activities. So I mentioned some that also help there. And music can improve focus always. You can use music while you're preparing something. You can use music to calm your system down from a stressful day. Um, Weighted blankets can help people with sensory issues. And meditation, honestly, it can relieve anxiety and the stress associated with ADHD. Taking that away and just being able to focus even for five minutes may be a huge difference. And when medication is prescribed, which is not my area because I am a health and wellness coach, um, it's usually something you'll hear somebody will say Ritalin or Adderall. And those are ADHD drugs. What they do is they actually help people focus. And there's also ones that are non-stimulant. So you can hear about Stratera or you can hear Intuniv or Quelbri. There's a bunch of them. But the point is, is that there is different types and symptoms of ADHD with women. And I want to talk about the three symptoms, uh, three types of the following diagnostic. This is the criteria for it. So I wrote this down. So I'm going to share what I had <clears throat> described by uh, Nadu. Um, there's a woman who is a director at Chesapeake Philosa- uh, Psychological Services of Maryland in Silver Springs, who helps treat women and girls. And nobody wants to feel overwhelmed. So these types will help you figure out things. The first is called inattentive type. And that includes persistent forgetfulness and lack of attention to detail, inability to complete tasks, everything from emptying a dishwasher to completing an email or sending out a letter and being easily sidetracked. I always say when I get online to like TikTok or Twitter or Facebook during the day, it's like going down the rabbit hole. And you don't want to do that. You want to be able to really complete your tasks. And adults and girls are more likely to be diagnosed with inattentive type ADHD than boys, as opposed to hyperactivity and impulsive type. And the impulsive type you see more on in guys, definitely see more in guys, um, which is kind of interesting. I mean, you know, why do we see it more in guys? What what is the thing about that that makes it um, more? They are restless. They're fidgety. They can be overly talkative or be, they're described sometimes like they're always in motion. They're like a car or a bike that's just always revved up and they like to be constantly busy. So you'll see people tapping. That's going to be it. And boys are more likely to be diagnosed with having H slash I type, that hyperactive impulsive type. The last one is combined type, which many of us have. Um, That's inattentive and the hyperactive slash impulsive traits. And they could be mild to severe. And the thing is, is it must be apparent. It must be able to be tracked over a period of months or years. So why are they different? Well, because inattentive ADHD um, is something we see, as I said, more in women. For example, 
an average person under stress might forget where they put their car keys or a password for an app. Um, a female ADHD will forget, but not recognize this as a pattern that is as disruptive as it is avoidable. So being able to hook things up and remember where things are is really important for that inattentive ADHD. And your hormone systems affect um, ADHD a lot, as I said before, because they you go through puberty, you go through adulthood, you go through childbirth, go through postpartum, menopause, perimenopause, and they can make ADHD feel like oh my God, a gerbil on a wheel or like a roller coaster and female hormone fluctuations and all those sort of periods of life such as puberty or pregnancy or perimenopause seem to intensify the symptoms in women. So that's to be noted. And women have a tendency as one of the symptoms is to internalize painful emotions and experiences. And that's definitely a, a a hallmark in, in ADHD women. And it does, it causes anxiety and it makes ADHD women prone to self-injury and suicide. And we don't want that. I mean, I'm over 50. I've had it for years. I've never thought about that, but it is common to hear these admissions in support groups online. Um, check out a really cool group online called the Anxiety Sisters. They talk about anxiety and depression. It's an online community community that has this great tagline, don't go it alone. So these two women created the Anxiety Sisters. It's really, really important because it's crucial for women to find a community of people who will listen and be supportive, even if they're not medical experts, because we can talk to each other about what's going on. Um, Maggie Sarachek and Abby Greenberg created the Anxiety Sisters, and they've written a lot of books, and they're definitely a good resource for you. They have a podcast. You can check out their podcast. You can check out Margot Joffrey's um, podcast on um, Kaleidoscope Society or the Anxiety Sisters. And women also really tend to keep things to themselves. So they place a greater burden on fitting in than on taking pride in standing out. So sometimes we can offer online a community that's safer, that supports you. And you learn how to manage it through others hearing their suggestions, like I'm speaking of some that I use. And this lack of diagnoses, we're hoping will get better as time goes on, because we definitely need it to. And what we also see is that women are being tracked for, you know, later than men, definitely. And better in kids now in schools because we have social workers and so forth. But you can even go look at the NIH site, the National Institute of Mental Health, um, NIMH, and they'll talk about other comorbidities that happen um, with this, you know, um, eating disorders, OCD. And just because these disorders appear in kids, um, Experts are kind of seeing that it connects childhood and adult behavior together, and maybe we can notice that ADHD earlier. So it is best to be diagnosed by someone who specializes, a doctor who specializes in diagnosing women. It's just better. I find that it is often listed in their medical profile if they specialize in this um, criteria. And there's a lot of people around the United States um, who specialize in ADHD. And 
you have to be ADHD to be diagnosed with ADHD as an adult woman. You have to be um, before you have to have been diagnosed before age 12. Not all of us are. Um, and that will also give them an idea, too. Um, it's also a thing about gender, you know, female bodies behave differently than men's. And that's why I mentioned the hormonal um, details in this. Um, it's important to think that. And and until there's a pattern of behavior, for example, that you have trouble in relationships or finishing a task at work without making errors, there may be fewer social clues of whether or not you have ADHD. Guys, you can see it through activities, through how they communicate, how they dominate, how they tap their foot or want to jump into things. And what's important is that women with ADHD can heal through self-understanding. Understanding what's going on with you makes a big difference. That is, sometimes we have to say, you know what, all this work, all this raising kids, all of these things, all of the organizations and the charity I'm doing, I need to help myself in developing a lower stress lifestyle. And sometimes you have to do that. Um, I wish I knew back then what I know about ADHD now. And, you know, it would help a great deal. Um, so I don't want you to feel blindsided or exhausted by potential issues. ADHD is not a monolith. It, everybody's different. And there are some straightforward truths um, that are important to allow women to just Notice that you can heal through self-understanding and participating in groups with other women and using tools and strategies. There's myriads of them. You heard about the one for procrastination, which I loved. Um, look for those on her site, Kaleidoscope Society. There are a couple of really good things that she has to say about that. The last thing I want to talk about is coaching ADHD. So coaching, and this came from uh, help and the number four ADHD.org. And there, I like their definition the best for this. A coach helps people with ADHD carry out the practical activities of daily life in an organized, goal oriented, and timely fashion. In close partnership, an ADHD coach helps the client learn practical skills and initiate change in his or her lifestyle. And really, honestly, the past 20, 30 years, it's, yeah, 30 years, I would say it's become really, really clear um, that coaches can really help you with this. They can support a client by putting emphasis on the client's autonomy. Um, in coaching a coach as a supporter, as a coach and a coachee as your partner, they can help clients to um, reach their goals by exchanging conversation with, again, as I started before, Great, powerful questions. And that makes a big difference when you're asked something that stimulates you and says, I want to think about this. I really can handle this. And remember, you know, symptoms, they happen, impact, you know, your day-to-day -day life. I just want you to have more coping strategies that can help you on your day-to-day -day life and manage your struggles. So you may find it's hard to keep up with demands of your job and make regular meals. And as I said, maybe you have to figure out a better balance, a better shift in your lifestyle to change that for yourself. So we need more research, but what I've described is, is that you can go to ADHDcoaches.org as I mentioned, to find a coach, I think they're great. ADDA, 
org is also great. Um, PAACoaches.org um, to learn about coaches around the world. And this way, you have things to think about. So I know this has been a lot of information for you guys, but I believe that you can hear this, you can take this in, and we can see a difference in how people can help themselves with a chronic condition. And this one is ADHD or ADD. Um, And I will have some experts. I'm going to find some people. I reached out to the ADDA organization to see if they had someone who could talk to us about women in ADHD because it's great to hear that. Let me know your thoughts. Reach out to me at mjwellnessnavigator.com and give me any suggestions. I would love them. I look forward to catching up with you on the next show. And I love talk radio for women. So Wellness Learning Curves 2.0, it's been a great time hosting you. And it really has been a super, super exercise for me. I really appreciate it being able to share it with you and hopefully um, shed some light on things that you may have been thinking about or hadn't known, or maybe you do, and just highlighting it and bringing it back to attention. Have a great day. I wanted to take an opportunity to introduce myself a little more. My focus as a health and wellness support coach and a patient advocacy consultant is to work with patients, clients who are seeking to make lifestyle modifications that are struggling with chronic conditions such as obesity, diabetes 2, high BP or cholesterol, stress, rheumatoid arthritis, neurological conditions that are autoimmune conditions like MS and Graves and even Lyme disease using wellness navigation tools because I want to teach you how to tap into yourself. Even as an advocate, I want to be able to leave you with the tools to be able to walk away and advocate for yourself when you're speaking to a doctor or speaking to a insurance company and really make sure they understand you and they're not talking over you or around you or below you and that you are in control. Um, MJ Wellness Navigator LLC provides an integrative health and resilience coaching and patient advocacy education. And remember, our services are not medical or mental health advice. I'm a board certified and well-being coach, and I'm also a certified patient advocacy consultant. I'm not a licensed medical or licensed medical health professional. Nothing on the mjwellnessnavigator.com website in my content should be construed as healthcare or mental health advice. It's important to understand that because each one of those titles has different jobs. As a coach and as a board-certified health and wellness coach and as a certified patient advocacy consultant, I deliver these solutions to the unique needs of each of my clients. I am also providing medical groups that are professionals and practitioners with workshops and lectures at medical symposiums on ongoing education to use health and wellness coaching for their patients. If I can focus on a client's education, then I have an opportunity to really tap into your knowledge and bring forth what's great. I believe the road to deciding where and how a patient or a client can bring change is a collaborative one. We work together. It's not me telling you what to do and then you doing it. 
It is you and I figuring out the best way for you to reach your goal. Whereas the coach and coachee, we work as a team. I believe in honoring a client's gut or intuition, examining their life experience, and embracing inside readiness to create changes on a person's life path. I'm a connector. And I have a myriad of connections that I have established over the years. I can provide you towards an acupuncturist, a biofeedback expert, an integrative nutritionist, a homeopathic expert, Pilates, all of those things, even down to mindfulness-based stress reduction with John Kabat-Zinn that I learned from Boston. I can help you with your education, and I can help people better understand how patients can help and advocate for themselves. So with an open heart, listening, ear, humor, grace, and compassion, I want to help you merge what you may need, want, or perhaps envision from your medical teams to achieve better patient-physician relationships. I guide patients, and I want to guide you with this Wellness Learning Curves 2.0 show every Sunday. Looking forward to the next one. Thank you.